You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, good morning, sports fans. Mike Gandolfo here in the 1450 WXVW studios. I'm here joined, I can't say as always, but, but usually, but you know, Haven Harrington's in the house. Haven, how's it going? Just fine, sir. And then we also have Mike Polio, first-timer. In here, sit in, but this is like a long time dream for us to do a sports radio show together. Been looking forward to this for probably five years now. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, we've always talked about being able to do this together, so it should be a lot of fun. So, uh, Mike is a very opinionated person. <laughs> so, it should be good, entertaining radio. And we, uh, we have a ton to talk about. Of course, you guys are extremely excited that the twins are coming back. No applause, no th- nothing. Yay. Okay. No. <laughs> well, you know what? Okay, as, as a diehard UofL fan as I am, I've already had this discussion with like every UofL fan I could possibly have this with. Even before the Twins came back, I made a, a proclamation on Facebook that the UK was going to beat UofL in basketball next year. And that was my bold prediction as of two weeks ago. The Twins coming back just kind of solidifies that, that bold prediction. But to me, it's going to be interesting to see what type of pressure now this puts on... UK to win it all because now you're going to be incredibly deep at pretty much every position. I mean, except e- for the three, even a water boy is going to be talented. Nine McDonald's all Americans on this team. Yeah. It's an impressive uh, group that they got coming. And I think they made the smart decision and coming back. Um, I was shocked when they were coming back. I thought they were definitely going uh, but if you look at it, like you said, the only spot that they're soft on is the three. And I wonder at the end of the season if they move the Harrisons down to the two and the three. Well, I think that definitely could definitely happen. You're going to see that at least por- uh, portions this year. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think from what I've heard, Tyler Eulis being as true of a point guard as Kentucky has had in a while, um, moving those twins down. Yeah, so I mean, we're watching right now, I guess they're showing a little uh, – Extra cooker activities that happened in the uh, Wizards and Bulls game last night with Nene and, and Karan Butler. Uh, but uh, I, I agree. I think you're going to see that. You're going to see Poitras, I think, play pretty much solely the three. I don't see you're going to – I mean, po- with all the uh, people they have for the four and five spot, uh, Poitras is probably going to play a lot of three, and hopefully he can develop his outside game. He's actually not a bad shooter. I mean, I think the guy can actually play it. So um, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how it does shake out because – it's going to be a lot like 2012, I think, for Kentucky fans. Nine McDonald's All-Americans on this team, and you're going to have a – you don't feel like you should lose, and they're probably never going to be an underdog all year long. And so being able to sweat it out as a Kentucky fan and hope that they just don't slip up every game, you know, it's probably not – in some ways not going to be as fun as even this last tournament. But now you've got all this talent. You can't say that he doesn't have experience because half the roster just made it to the championship game, over half the roster. It's going to be – It'll be pretty interesting to see what happens in Lexington. With, with the expectations that you had uh, of the 40 and 0 season, I did not say anything about 40 and 0. So let's not start this. You whatsoever. you absolutely bought the 40 and 0 T-shirt. <laughs> I do not have a 40 and 0 T-shirt, and I'm not buying a 40 and 0 T-shirt for next year either. How about a tattoo? No tattoos. <laughs> Willie Cauley Hold signs. On, no about, tattoo on my calves. You mean no like national championship <laughs> tattoo? No, nothing like that. No. Uh, so with the Twins coming back. What is your? If they don't do this, it was a bust season. That's when it all, man. They have to win it all. I mean, you went to a national championship game, and you had arguably the most talented team last year. 
Now you return the most talented team last year. With, Plus four with, McDonald's All-Americans. Yeah, with experience. I mean, I think next year it, it has to be national championship or bust. I don't think a Final Four is going to be – a Final Four is not going to cut it. I mean, yeah. this, this is national championship or bust. No, Final Four is a given, I would say, at this yeah, point. Yeah, it should be a given. There are just so many weird things that can happen on, on the on the way, you know? So I mean, the injuries and things of that nature, correct. But, I mean, if, if this team stays relatively healthy, I mean, yeah. th- this has to be national – this has to be Duke, U.K., National championship because both teams will have nine McDonald's All Americans on the roster. Well, Duke have nine. Yes, I didn't. I didn't know they would have a bunch. Well, yeah, that's probably about right. So Quinn Cook and and they got some guys, you know, juniors. Quinn Cook and and Emil, or you know, be juniors and seniors, and they'll they'll have some guys. It'll be interesting to see what happens in Duke with that point guard spot because with Tyus Jones coming in and Quinn Cook kind of being the uh, the heir apparent, they got. Duke's going to be talented too, and you know they're they're going to have a lot of guys. They're going to miss Jabari just like Kentucky's going to miss Randall, but they got a great class coming in, so it could be very interesting to see. I mean, they, Duke is definitely good enough to play with them. Like I said, it should be Duke UK for the now. I mean, the two most talented teams. Now, granted, a team with that many McDonald's All Americans has never won the NCAA championship. I wonder how many times that's even you know. There's been a team with this many McDonald's all It's about not not many. It about can't be many. just a handful. Yeah, no, not I mean, many. I think it's like literally about three. Yeah, yeah, it, it can't be. I mean, you only got 13 guys on a team. I mean, we can't. I mean, to have nine guys be McDonald's all Your backups are your backups would start for like most teams in the country. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you can go five on five in practice, and almost everyone is a McDonald's all American <laughs> except for one guy. <laughs> so that's that's amazing. That one scrub, <laughs> that that one guy whose only job is to go to class. <laughs> pulls hey, the GPA guys, up. Whatever they go to class, <laughs> you know they go to class. The APR is as good as anyone's in the country, man. Well, they do uh, now. They have to, they're coming yeah. back. They have no choice but to well, go to class. Well, I mean, you know, but even if they don't, I mean, that's the but, thing. If, even if they decide that they're leaving, uh, if they don't go to class, it hurts the APR because they have to at least advance to their sophomore year, or Kentucky could really get hurt. You know, I mean. <laughs> Uh, and I know Cal has to have that talk with him when they come in. It's like, you know, if you decide to go pro, I still you had to finish semester. Supposedly, Julius Randle is. So basically, you go to summer school when, you, when as soon as you get there, knock out. A big uh, portion of it. I think yeah. that's probably true. Because the spring semester, let's be honest, these guys can't go to class almost the entire spring semester. I know that, uh, I know Randle is. I don't know about James Young. That might be a little bit of a concern. Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah. If I was James, I'd be like, I got practice. <laughs> the, only, the only one that's really, you know, I think really turned their back on it was Daniel Orton. He was the only one that really said, you know, screw it, I'm not going to class and all that stuff. And, you know, that to me that's the more amazing thing about what Cal's done is that he's been able to – not that he's had all these one-and-dones, but he he hasn't missed. Like, usually you would see some of these guys just not pan out, you know. Derek Poit- character. Poitras probably hasn't really panned out the way you thought. <laughs> Yeah, Derek character. <laughs> I mean, Samaro Samuels in some way too. I mean, uh, but the, the guys coming Earl through. Clark. Well, Earl Clark's still there though. He's in the league still. Isn't he? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm talking about the, all the hype he had coming in at U of L. Well, yeah, that's true. And the amount of work. I mean, I, I was the softest six eight guy I've ever seen in my life. But the the thing to me is like the the guys who went pro have all done pretty well, except for the ones that Cal said, you don't need to go pro, you should come back. You know, Marcus T, he told to come back. Daniel Orton was told to come back, and those guys don't do well. But the other guys have gone and, and played pretty well in the next level. I mean, John Wall is 
Killing it. I mean, the man runs DC now. He's running for mayor. <laughs> I mean, the guy's balling. I mean, he he's he's a, John Wall is a straight balling. He is. I mean, well, Bledsoe. I mean, Cousins. You know, everyone loves Cousins. I mean, how can you not love Demarcus Cousins? I mean, everybody. Loves, I mean, Cousins is great. I mean, he <laughs> he keeps the sports writers happy. Are you a big Cousins fans, Paulio? Uh, I love him. Yeah. He's one of my favorite players of all time. <laughs> That's most you all people talk about. I have his jersey at home. Go <laughs> to sleep in it at night. The bobblehead, yeah. You got Terrence yeah. Jones beating up homeless men. You know. Well, <laughs> you know, talking about how Kentucky's players have panned out, I know they were third most in terms of playoff players uh, in the NBA playoffs this year. Uh, followed by Florida, which again shows how good the SEC the is. The SEC dominant, baby. I love the SEC. Huge fan. <laughs> so, if you all don't know, uh, Mike Polio puts the ass in sarcasm. So, <laughs> um, so you know, uh, Kentucky players have definitely panned out, and which is wonderful, and love it. Players first. Yeah. All right. But we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about. One week from today is the Kentucky Derby, which I'm. Which I love. I don't even Haven and I. We don't talk horse racing a whole lot. But uh, let me think. No, no, you're not a horse racing guy. Uh, no. Well, you know what? I've, I've been to the Derby for like the past. You know what? We talk. We start talking about horse racing, and our man Polly over here pulls out like he's got his. He got I, his I got it marked I mean, up. I mean, I, the man has the whole Manila folder, man. Like the CIA, like the man's <laughs> an agent of Shield for horse racing. Like yesterday, <laughs> I went on Facebook. Facebook messaged a couple buddies of mine that are like professional horse handicappers and was like, I can't look like an idiot. you got to give me some help. And clearly you having me on the radio shows that I'm the best handicapper in my family, which is a huge honor because well, yeah. I've been going since Listen, I was like two. Everyone knows that you're a better ha- a handicapper than Marty. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if Marty, if you're listening, you just want to, which, which I know you are. Absolutely. Everybody yeah. is in my family, I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the, the, that's a big week coming up. It's, Really, this week coming up is one of my favorite weeks. Is I'll spend every morning, I'm including tomorrow morning, out on the backside of the track, and it's it's a blast. I'm going out uh, tonight. Churchill Downs opens up with the the night racing. I don't think I'm going to make it out there tonight, but that's a ton of fun. You no, know, I have seen come on coming down a Ninth Street exit. You can see the big screen. The big screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can literally see everything to project on a big screen from the Ninth Street exit. It's just amazing. Nine stories tall. It, it's, it's, just, it's just huge. It's a monster of a screen. I had never thought I would see something like that at Churchill Downs. And the 4K technology, too, where it's like just supposed to be like super, super high def. And uh, John Asher is saying that we'll be able to see the sweat coming off the horse's nose. That's awesome. But it, the guy's info will be too drunk to even pay attention, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but at least some of them will be able to watch the race if they want to. Yeah. It, it'll add to that experience a ton, the way they have it elevated, too. It'll, it'll be good. It'll be real good. But I, you go out to the night racing at all? Uh, you know, I have not been to night racing yet. You know, I'm not like the biggest horse racing fan. I don't think that's like a, well, you, night racing is not really geared for horse racing. It's not. It's not. I just haven't had a chance to make the the night race. But I have been to the Derby the past four years, and I must say, I love it. Not going to the Derby this year. I'm going to Oaks, and I'm going to Thurby, <laughs> which I guess is you know what they're trying to call this Thursday at the track. So yeah. Um, that's the big Derby Festival day at the track too. They have a Celebrity Day at the track, and, that, and I have picked like three out of the past like a seven. So that's Kentucky Derby winners. That's better than what Polio does, and uh, and, I, and I pick based. That's off hard of, to do, man. Well, no, not with me. No, I have a secret. <laughs> you pick the color. I pick color and names. Yeah, I have no idea like what the horses ran because to me, <laughs> what honestly, man, because to me the problem with the Kentucky Derby with handicapping horses is that a lot of horses don't have like a significant record. 
that you know you can check. You, know, you, you can't go back and like, well, this horse ran like five races and was like, you know, five and zero. Oh. I mean, my my papers would tend to disagree with you on good that. Good deal, okay? Because because most most guys I've seen they, they line for the Kentucky Derby like, well, this guy's ran like uh, seven races. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's, a, it's like it's only a racing. Uh, well, there's no history on him, but he's he's fast. Trust me. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> the truth because. None of them have gone this distance before. Yeah. So we don't. We do have that. None of them. They never run in a field this big. So you don't know how they're going to react to that. And and then you're in the, you know 160 thousand people around you. You don't know how they're going to re- react to that. Uh, and then we've got this year where we've had 34 prep races won by 31 different horses. Mm-hmm. And it's it is a very it's a there, crap shoot. There is a well. There's a clear cut. There's a clear cut favorite, without a doubt, with California Chrome. And and if it was up to just talent. This horse will win, I think, hands down. I think. But then, when you look at his pedigree, the pedigree wouldn't support that he's got this unbelievable pedigree to be this great distance horse either. I mean, no, uh, no. But I think you know, in looking at the pedigree, I think there's only a couple horses, and neither one of them are uh, favorites by any means. Are really bred for this kind of distance. I think for the most part, it's it's kind of a crapshoot in terms of who can get this distance, anyways. No. This is almost like, you know, in high school and college, I ran track. This is almost like taking a group of sprinters. All guys ran 100 and 200, and then one day take them out to a track. It's like, you know what? We're going to put you guys in a race for the world's fastest man, and y'all run 400. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Well, it's very similar to that. And, and run. And, you know, for 100, because I beat a lot of guys that were like a lot faster than me in 100 and 200. But you stretch that distance out, and it's a completely different race. Well, and I'd even say it's almost like, you know, to me the difference in track, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because, you know, as you can tell, I am an unbelievable track athlete. <laughs> the The difference would become really when you start running the 800. Well, you know, the 400 is the hardest race. Is it? Yeah. Easy, 400 is easily the hardest race. The 800, you can kind of, if you can run a 400, you can run anything else. And everything else is kind of easy after that. The 400 is the hardest because that is almost literally a sprint all, all, the, way way around, around. all the way around the track. Hmm. I mean, the, um, the 800 is kind of like you run three-four speed the first lap, and then you ramp it up and try to you know kill at the end. But the 400, you pretty much from the time that the gun goes off, you know you got you run, you run a nice little clip. So uh, real quick, just to kind of we got we got all kinds of stuff going on. You want to talk Kentucky basketball? You want to talk Loyola basketball? We got the uh, first evaluation period for basketball recruiting going on this weekend. Uh, we can't talk specifically about recruits because Mike is involved with Western Kentucky's men's basketball program, but we can talk about the process a little bit, and, and that would be a lot of fun. Uh, and we got uh, you know baseball going on, playoffs for the NBA and NHL, tons of things to talk about, so we want you to call in on the Oxmoor 4 Lincoln Buzz Line, 502-384-1450. Uh, this is the Weekend Sports Buzz brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence. Uh, a personal injury attorney, call 502-587-0041 to reach one of the best personal injury attorneys in the city of Louisville. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back to talk about all these great sports stories and then one of the best times of the year. Uh, see you on the other side. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Welcome back, fans. We are here on the Weekend Sports Buzz, brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence. Just want to give a quick reminder, as the weather outside is gorgeous and beautiful, this is not my thing, but I know a lot of you out there are golfers, and we have the 
1450 the sports buzz golf card that we want to that we have a, on special derby week sale so for 75 dollars right now you can buy the indiana card which includes a round with a round and cart chariot run jeffersonville elks valley view and christmas lake the kentucky card is 115 dollars which includes round and cart at chariot run heritage hill polo fields glen oaks and woodhaven go ahead and just buy both cards for 190 makes a great graduation gift father's day gift uh, if you have a golfer uh, in your life, they will truly love having that golf card. Go to 1450thesportsbuzz.com slash golf card for more information. Haven, Mike and I don't agree on much, but there's <laughs> one thing that we do like. We both love the Cincinnati Reds. Go and, Reds, the big uh, red machine. The Reds. It was like Kane. What? <laughs> yeah, the Kane, the wrestler. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, there was professional wrestling last night at uh, at St. Leonard School for the kids, so... Uh, uh, we didn't get to go. Was, was your kid bummed. involved in I, the professional? Event? No, I was. That their gym teacher was. So uh, I was kind of bummed I didn't get to go. But anyway, the uh, the Reds got off to a horrible start. They were, had the worst record in baseball. They were three and eight at one time. They just went off and won seven out of nine to get back to five hundred. Time out. Time yeah. out. Uh, now you know that when you play eight hundred games in a season. It doesn't really matter. You know, yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter if you're three and eight. I mean, you, yeah. you could be like, still, oh, they start off terrible. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you on that. It's it's way too early in the season to be saying things. But with all that being said, I think the Reds are terrible, and we have no chance. And I, I've completely given up on the Reds <laughs> after last night. Wow, well, well, quick. <laughs> I gave up. Well, that and that's what I was going to get to. They got back to five hundred. They they're throwing out. They're starting a series in Atlanta. They're putting out their new hundred million dollar pitcher Homer Bailey, who owned you know earned this contract because of his two no hitters, who <laughs> we both know has the mental uh, toughness of uh, a ten year old girl. And he, for the out of his five starts now this year, has given up four or more runs. So he's been tuned up like a cheap starts. guitar. Yeah, he's given up tr- freaking eighteen runs in yeah. five starts. He's getting paid, and now he's taking it easy. It's, it's but not know, a bad living. But this is something that, that you told me about over the summer, that this was going to happen. You're going to yes. pay this guy all this money. And he's going to just you're not gonna have out. You're not going to have enough money to put anybody around him because having one pitcher is great, but you need a bullpen. You need, like, a stable of pitchers. This is the biggest mistake I think the Reds could have made is, is giving Homer Bailey all this money. And you're a small market team, so but, there's no way that you ever want to get enough money to – to and get anybody else. And it's one thing if you pay your number one starter that kind of money. But in my book, he's the number three starter. Well, he's definitely the number three starter on this team, especially when Latos comes back. I mean, And he could be, at one point, the number four starter. If Singrani could. If Singrani could. Mike Leak, too. I mean, there's, that's not the question. Simon's pitching well. I mean, where does he fit in in terms of paying him this much money to be the third or fourth starter in the bullpen? Well, what's going to happen is this. You're going to see him in the dugout with his monocle and top hat on. Because he's, he's getting paid. <laughs> and and that's how he's going to pitch like for the rest of like, his, his contract with the monocle and top hat. Because in baseball, aren't the contracts like guaranteed? Yeah, well, yeah. there's a portion of it's guaranteed. Yeah. So, and I wonder if when they, they picked him high in the draft, they spent a lot of time saying he was going to be the next guy, that he was going to be the next great Reds pitcher. Are they just like, well, we're going to stick with him until the very end, whether he's bad or good. We're just going to keep him. You have to. Well, and that's, I mean, that's it. And I you're mean, stuck. You don't, you don't have a choice. Now you, you have to keep him. And not only do you have to keep him, now you can't afford, like I said before, you can't afford to put anybody else around yeah. him. 
And you got Chapman's contract coming up next year. I mean, you got guys that you want to pay to kind of keep around. That it's just not going to happen. And uh, putting all your eggs in the Homer Bailey basket just uh, to me is a huge mistake. So hopefully the Reds can win despite Homer Bailey. But you know, and I don't have a chance to really have this kind of conversation with a lot. But to me, with a lot of people because they don't want to talk about Reds baseball. Yeah. Understandably, it still comes down to me though the the success of the season is how often Billy Hamilton can get on base. Definitely, and this guy has got to get better at at his pitch selection of what he swings at because he is not he is not walking hardly at all. I mean, he's it's either a hit or a strikeout right now with him. No, and it's a lot of pop ups. Um, he's not even getting really good at bats where he's making the pitcher really work for it a lot exactly. of times. The pitchers, in my opinion, are going at him like they would a the nine hole pitcher. Is they're just going strike, strike, strike. He doesn't. He just swings at anything, and then he'll pop it up. So if he does get contact, he's hitting on the year between the twenty two games. He's hitting two thirty one. On base percentage is just slightly above that at two sixty five. Not going to cut it for a leadoff guy, especially a weapon like him. He has to find ways to base. He has struck out nineteen times, and he's only walked three times on the year. To start out the year, it's it's just not good enough. When speed is your game, you got to get on base, and he's got to be able to just know what he's supposed to swing at and what he's not supposed to swing at. And I mean, if if he became a a, a threat to draw walks, pitchers would freak out pitching him because they know if they walk him, it's a double. And they just got to he's got to figure that out. I, if he can, I don't know how long they can keep him at the leadoff spot. Well, the good news is. He has about 100 more games to figure this out. <laughs> so he has plenty of time. You know, no, we got to figure it out this weekend. We got to – this is the weekend. It can get too late. This series or bust. Forget. This, uh, this Nene Karan Butler thing was pretty intense. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was more than just, you know, a little pitching and shuffing here. You know, how about these Washington Wizards, man? John Wall Washington Wizards. Just had to throw that one in, didn't you? I mean, they're, they're playing really, really well, but also it helps that you know Chicago Bulls don't have their 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 superstar who hasn't played in what two years? Two now? years. Well, I mean, and how much of a superstar is he? I mean, they they got to the point in the playoffs last year and this year basically without him. He's so. soft. You know what? I would personally, and I said this before, I would trade him because he's too soft. I, I would trade him now. I can get something for him. Can uh, you get something for him right now? I don't. Well, better this year than next year. I mean. People have got to wonder if how much he's going to be able to play. I mean, he hasn't played in two years. It just now last year he didn't play. I mean, even if he came back injury, it was more mental issues why he couldn't play. And for me, that right there, you're gone. Well, he didn't really seem like he wanted to go out there and play. He didn't no, want to go out there and play. That's why he'll be gone. I, I would have yeah. last year. I've been like, you're out. You, you got to at this point. I think the Bulls won't be an elite team in terms of top two or three teams in the league until they get rid of his contract. They have to get somebody else in there. That can carry the team, and that is actually on the court for the full year. Because I mean, Joe Kim Noah is the, the face of that team right now, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's the kind of the face of a team you want. I mean, as much as I don't like that guy, but someone who works his tail off is going to play every possession. You know, that's that's the guy you want to build your team well, around. Why don't you like him? He's a hard worker. He's SEC guy. He he's he's a great. He's a perfect guy for you. He looks. He looks like Denise from the Cosby Show. Okay, he, yeah, he does. He's not. He's not attractive. <laughs> I didn't know we were judging basketball players on how they looked. But what else don't you like about him? He dominated. Kentucky. He went to Florida. Oh, okay. Uh, that part. Then, okay. All right. So yes, you know, but uh, Derek 
or uh, Derek Rose, you know, I agree. I think they're going to have to kind of get rid of him, you know, and and just move on without him. And I I don't know what they get for him. I don't know. You know, surely if you're a struggling team, you might take a chance on the guy because he could sell some tickets for you. At this point, I would take two ham sandwiches <laughs> and like a second round pick. But you just want to get rid of his contract, really. yeah? I don't mean, his contract. Just, contract. Yeah, just let him go because if I get if I can free up that kind of cap space, then I can get me a, a great player on the free agent market next year, or I can go ahead and trade up in the first round or draft or do something and get me somebody that at least want to be healthy. Or at least wants to play basketball because at this point he's just getting paid to to wear shiny suits and and sit there and cheerlead. Yeah, I mean he's like the world's most expensive cheerleader at this point. And, and they're almost too good to where they don't get a good draft pick. They don't have enough money to get a good free agent. They're kind of stuck in that limbo where they're just gonna remain the same for the next few years. And if this was the NBA of old, like in the mid '80s, early '90s, do you think that Derrick Rose would be allowed? Did not play for this long. Hell no. Absolutely Especially not. if he was on the Bulls. <laughs> no. Jordan would just, I mean, the second he tried to pull that stuff last year with Jordan. It would have been over. Uh, he would have either been on the floor or been gone or and like maybe even like mysteriously disappeared. Or what about the Pistons, uh, the 30 it, for 30 uh, that just came out? And the bad boys. Let's, yeah. Yeah, and let's get on this real quick. And we'll sound like a bunch of old men. And, and that, I'm okay with this. Anyone who thinks that the NBA basketball right now is as good as it was in the Late eighties, early nineties, on crack. You're crazy. And I was talking about this a little bit on my show yesterday, and they were talking about how the you know the the big post players are gone, and there's just the people who have these these centers now. They're not centers. They're big. They're they're tall forwards. They're tall forwards. And then we were talking about the you know who would you consider the top five centers in basketball today, and those guys wouldn't even be in the top twenty centers back in the in the early nineties. They'd be backups. Oh. Be backups. Uh, Howard would be a backup. Now you got some incredible. Absolutely, he'd, he'd be a great backup. He'd be a great he would. backup. He'll come off the bench like Shaq. And be like, okay, I'm tired now. <laughs> yeah, come on a, in. He'd be that good defensive specialist. That yeah, Akeem and David Robinson would do him. I mean, oh just destroy God. him. It'd be it'd be horrible. And in, and you got all those guys, and and you think about how tough those teams and how how intense. Like if you're if you're a 24 year old whatever kid right now, you don't remember how intense those Bulls. Uh, Pistons games were, or I mean, th- those were freaking all-out fights. And then the Celtics were good, and the Lakers were good, and the Rockets were good, and the Spurs were coming on at that time. You had the Phoenix Suns when they had Dan Marley and and, and, and Barkley. Barkley can went over. I mean, yeah, I mean they, the Jazz with Malone and Stockton. I mean, one of the dirtiest players in the uh, in the NBA. Malone or Stockton? Stockton. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get our edge whatever, any way we can. We have to. Because, I'm, I'm <laughs> you, because, because the one thing Stockton was always good was having like this nice little choir boy image. But like, if you ever really watched him play. The last short shorts guy, by the way. The last one. But you know, if you ever watched he him play. He held on to him. He did. But, it, but no, he, he was always pretty good for a good forearm shift here. A good, like, you post up, he'll you know, pull you real quick. But that's what those guys did back in the days. Yeah. I mean, but, if the refs don't see it, then it's. Yeah, it's, it's okay. A couple uh, of kidney punches here yeah. and there. No, the guys and the guys today, there's some incredible athletes, and the athleticism might be at, a, at an all-time high. But as far as basketball player goes, and knowing how to play the game, dude, they don't have like a run TMC like they used to have in Golden State or anything like. That. I mean, it's it's just not even close. No, it's not even close, and that's why I don't particularly like watching the NBA until this time of the year. But you just even watch this time of the year and watch how bad these guys are in certain situations. They just, the, the basketball IQ isn't as high. As it was back in the day, but that's well, that's the 
because we went to the you know the, AU. Well, not only that, but we started drafting kids out of high school, and then the one and done rule came in. And, well, you know, you always kind of kids out of high school. You have like you know Moses Malone. And, yeah, but you had Moses Malone, and then you would go yes. seven or eight years before you had another one. Yeah, another guy come out. That, that is you true. You didn't that have it until Kobe and Garnett came out, and then all these other kids tried it, tried it out, and they were flaming out, and all these NBA teams are so worried about missing out on the next big thing that they would take these kids and then they would they would you know wouldn't pan out but if, if the spurs have taught you anything you can win with old school basketball knowledge that's what's going to win yeah the, the spurs have taught if the spurs have, have shown you nothing nothing else you can win with a bunch of old men get a couple of young guys in there have the old guys mentor the young guys and give them that basketball IQ because that basketball IQ what takes you so far that's why I think yeah. a kid like uh, Trevon Blewett, who played in the Derby Classic last year, is going to be a really good player because he can play an athletic game, but he can play like an old man. And you have to be able to play old man basketball with a high basketball IQ, I think, to be successful in the NBA. I mean, I think that I think that has to happen. Yeah, LeBron's th- actually figuring that a lot, a little bit. You know, I think the the old man basketball people are losing that. I mean, just being able to slow yourself down, being able to play within the game. Everybody's trying to speed the game up because that's the way the game has been played. Instead of slowing it down like Tim Duncan does, and and just being very deliberate with everything they're doing, learning the learning the game. But going back to the whole post discussion, you know, Roy Hibbert is probably one of the top ten centers in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't mm-hmm. even be in the discussion. Oh no! In 1991, 1991, he'd be like, oh, Roy Hibbert. <laughs> yeah, he's like the third man off the bench. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wouldn't even be close, and it's just uh, so I don't know. And, and now he's like, he's like, he starts, and it's because he's tall. I mean, he doesn't have really any post moves, really. No. Um, and I think that's one of the things that they. I think that's why Gordy nobody has nobody has post. Yeah, well, moves. who no. in college has post moves? Well, like, like, what, that's what they saying. all want to face up. They do, and, and I think that's why Gorgie is actually having some type of like a lot of success in the NBA because he actually has. He's got some post moves. Yeah, he's got some post moves. I think when he gets the ball down low, a lot of guys. They don't know how to defend. I think they forgot how to defend anybody with any semblance of a post move. So the guy does like a little oopsie doo or, you know, uh, turn around the sky hook and guys are lost. It's like, what do we do? And Patino did a great job with Gorgie in terms of when he was first there his freshman year, all he had was a right hand hook. That's all he could go to. And now he has been able to go left-hand hook, up and under moves, a lot of different moves that have helped him big time. And that's when we're evaluating post players. That's what we look at. Like, can you make a move going over your left shoulder and make a move going over your right shoulder? Because most right-handed post players can only make a left shoulder post move. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's pretty easily guardable. And then, yeah. then that's when you saw, okay, the, the defense was just say, all right, we play behind, we, play, we park ourselves on that left shoulder, and then they can't do anything. So then you started seeing guys catch it, face it up, and and that was the whole post game. So I'm really interested to see what Patino does with the young front court that he has coming in. How good, how skilled they are, and how he can develop them over the next few but years. The, to me, the problem is he has with, with those post players. He has projects. Well, not only that, but his two seven footers that are coming in are both more four players than they are five players. Yeah, I mean, Stotsman wants to go out the and choose threes. And so does Anas. I mean, but Anas could probably be developed more into a center. Uh, I think. I think in the end of the day, I think both those guys redshirt. I, I know. I know Stockman will probably redshirt for sure, but I, mm-hmm. I think Anas probably redshirts too. Yeah, 
It's all about Mango, and if he could, you know, if he can kind of learn that post. It's big on Akoi, too. Akoi's got to yeah. show that he yeah. can step up and play. And they say he's got a lot of skill. Akoi? Yeah. He does. He just can't, can't guard you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But who can? Which is tough to do. <laughs> I have, I'm pretty good in the post. Yeah. You all, are good. All 5'9 of me. That's and right. yes, I am 5'9. Yeah, for <laughs> anyone who saw my Facebook picture yesterday, that was not me and Polio. That was me and Pat Day. So, <laughs> yeah. um, all right, we're going to take you another break. we got one more segment left in this hour. We'll be right back on the Weekend Sports Bus. All right, we are back here on 1450 The Sports Buzz and uh, getting ready to talk a little spring game football. Hey, you said you're going up to the, watch the Kentucky Wild. You're going to scout, I guess, for Louisville to see how I'm, bad. No need to scout. I just <laughs> want to see. Um, we'll see what happens. You have, you have one more year, then next year it's, it's, it's coming on, baby. Uh, you know, no. No, it's just not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why. And, and, and we kind of talked about like the rivalry game in basketball during a break. How, you know, Patino likes to, you know, how, he really likes to downplay the game. The players downplay the game. You know, well, this is just another game. It's a, it's a late December game. Uh, you know, it's just Kentucky's just another talented team on our schedule, and we're just going to play, uh, you know, uh, Kentucky. And if we lose, we lose. But no, the most important thing about the game is we just learn from this game and we get better. And we can get ready for a tournament because we all know with Rick Pitino, you can't take anything he says uh, for you know with, with any grain of salt because you know he's always <laughs> he tells the truth all the time. Man, what are you talking about? Yeah, he, yes, he does. He tells the truth. <laughs> he doesn't spin anything. You know, yes. there's never an agenda when he's talking. But you know, but but going to Rick Pitino press conference is like going to Mister Rogers' house and getting a little trolley and you go to Maple Leaf <laughs> Land for a little bit. <laughs> And, and then, then you come back. How did this? How do we go from Kentucky spring game uh, to well, Mister Rogers? We're, we're coming around. I'm, I'm, I'm coming. Come back. I'm <laughs> on a trolley, and I'm coming back around to make believe land. And I come back. But the football is completely different because Bobby, as we all know, hates Kentucky. He I does. Mean, he yes. <laughs> I mean he 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 literally hates Kentucky with, with like an, an almost unhealthy. Passion uh, for, for how much he hates Kentucky and Kentucky. Now you got Neil Brown dropping you no know, bombs down U of L tomorrow. You know, pretty much insinuating the U of L football program doesn't exist, doesn't matter. The only thing the state is Kentucky, which is great because you have to have that kind of you know machismo. You have to kind of come into the rivalry game, even though even though it's the last game of the season, but you still have to you know you have to, you have to it has to mean something. And with you know and with Rick Pitino downplaying it in the media and their players constantly downplaying you know the rivalry game. But then the football team, even on Charlie Strong, is completely opposite. Like you read the like if you watch the, like if you follow the football players on Twitter underneath Charlie Strong, or they was talking smack from like the end of the spring game. They were talking smack with Kentucky players about football to like the start of the season, and that's awesome. That's that's what you want in in a rivalry game. You don't we're gonna miss some of that though. Now that the game's the freaking last game of the year, which I I just absolutely, absolutely hate, man. I just I know some people like it, but I just. That whole lead up in the summer when they're zero, they're both zero and zero, and we can talk about them all of July and August. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. But see, I think in the end, that may actually be the best for the series to have to have the game last when we have all the other rivalry games because in May, the SEC is going to decide if they're going to stick with the eight game schedule or the nine or the nine games. If they go to nine. That's going to put pressure on UK to drop U of L and to play three pansies because you have you know all these SEC games. Now let's not talk for. about. It. Let's first off that goes the other way too, because I mean we t- next year in 2015 because 
Louisville's got the game with Auburn on the neutral neutral field. They got to go to UK. They're stuck with only six home games. Yeah, in 2015, and you—it's hard to have your most profitable athletic budget in college sports or whatever you got with only six home games. So it's it's it it could be a situation where both it's it's advantageous for both not to have the game, which we hope doesn't happen. Don't get me wrong. I want I want the UK U of L football game to, to continue on, but the reality of the situation is is that it is in danger of it's and the ACC might go to nine games too. Yeah, the ACC may go to nine games, but. You know, the the difference is is that Tom George and when Bobby was here previously, they've stated that their number one goal is to keep the rivalry going. So it's to me it's no doubt in my mind that Tom would do everything scheduling wise he has to do to keep UK on the schedule. But in Lexington, that that same yeah, we need to keep the rivalry going ha- hasn't been there on, on Lexington's side. I mean UK has talked openly about maybe we should drop the game because it's not benefiting us. It's just another tough team to schedule. But like Nick Saban, Nick Saban's in favor of going to nine games, having one tough out-of-conference game, and then you schedule two pansies. And then you have the SEC games. That gives you a best chance to win a national championship. Yeah, because if you're 10-2 and two and you're battling for that fourth spot in the playoff, the strength of schedule is going to gonna separate you. I mean, yeah, and for UK, UofL would be their tough out-of-conference game and then you would schedule two pansies. We'll see. We would think the problem is Kentucky's tough out of conference game right now is Western Kentucky. Well, and and that's a <laughs> K- K- which is actually a tough game. <laughs> K- Kentucky does not like to schedule teams that they have a chance to beat. Western Kentucky beats Kentucky two years in a row, and now all of a sudden Kentucky won't play them. Well, I mean, but- a great rivalry for both. Yet Kentucky has decided they don't because want to play them because wins. they've lost twice. You need those wins for bowl eligibility. That's well, why. Beat Vanderbilt first. Well, that's true. Beat Missouri first. Beat somebody. Listen, Missouri's freaking good. Beat somebody. <laughs> beat somebody in the SEC before you start saying, "Oh, we can't play Western Kentucky or we can't play Coastal Carolina because they're too tough or <laughs> whatever other football team that you won't play because they're too tough." Man. Let's see. This beat is the, one team in the SEC. That's all I'm asking for. Well, this year the way their schedule sets up, I like it because they got Vandy at home, they got Mississippi State at home, they got some games where I think that you know that the streak of like 30 plus months or whatever it is without an SEC win is going to come to an end, uh, when, because they've got some very winnable SEC games at home, and I think this team, especially what you're going to see today at the spring game, that front seven is supposed to be so improved. Uh, of course, the big question mark of that UK spring game today is who's going to step out and be that first string quarterback? Is it well, going to be Drew Barker or Patrick? Well, Coles? see, to, to me, the problem with the front seven is, is going to be great, but with football, it's not just the front seven; it's the other seven, the backups who come in replace those guys. Because you know, a defensive lineman can't play the entire game. That's what happened last year. UK defensively had a great first quarter. I mean, they played a great first quarter, maybe even a quarter and a half. They played great defense. And then that lack of depth kind of got to them, and then they fizzled towards the end. That in the offense was just horrible, and they, they had no offense production at all, which which just killed them and kept, kept the defense on the field. As long as man, but I feel like that's going to be completely different, especially if Josh Clemens is healthy the entire year, which it looks like right now he is. Uh, they've got they've got some just absolute studs at running back. Um, they've got enough receivers, maybe not for a, the scrimmage today. But they got enough receivers just for their offense, and then, um, and then you know, even though the quarterback's going to be coming in with very limited experience, I feel like that's got to be an upgrade eventually. I mean, it's gonna, he's going to have to 
if it's Barker, he's going to have to figure things out. But right now, it sounded like it might be Patrick Tolles. Like he might have made the most improvement uh, on this team from the end of last year to the spring game. Patrick Tolles has been the most hyped player I have read about on Kentucky's football team that I have yet to see do anything. Right. Well, he hasn't done squat. I, I mean, mean <laughs> he had to be terrible to not play last year. Horrible. I mean, he had to be yeah. horrible. I mean, the guy's been there like forever. I mean, it seems like he's been like the Uber recruit for like five years now. Yeah, so, he was going to change the program. And, you know, the, the guy couldn't beat out anybody. Whitlow, who's horrible. Well, there's a freshman running back I want you to report back and let me know how he looks because this is the kid that I, I've heard really good things about. Number four, mm-hmm. Michael Horton. Michael Horton, okay. And he is supposed to be a beast. So I, I want to hear about him. Let's talk real quick because we only got – oh, go ahead, Polio. Well, can I just say that uh, you all are going to disagree with me on this, but I think the spring game is the most overrated thing oh, yeah. in football. <laughs> if you can't look good against Kentucky's defense, then we're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. It so. is. It is. But it's fun. I mean, I think it's just – you know, we're done with basketball season, so there's we're getting to this time there's, of year there's where there's hockey. not a lot to do. There is hockey playoffs, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I promise you. And we uh, – um, you know, so there's not a lot going on, but it's just a, a way to kind of get you amped up for the upcoming football season. Well, a little bit. And what, what this does, especially for Kentucky fans, <laughs> it, it gives you guys hope. Like you see the team, they're going to play well. The offense, I think, is going to be much improved. We'll see when you're six and six or seven and five next year, Louisville, and all of a sudden, you know, no, no. Louisville's going to be about. Eight I would four. say eight and four, nine and three next year. I, I was thinking that eight and four, but if they slip up, you know. That to, to, to me, with what Yuva has coming back, especially on offense, the big thing is the kind of thing the offensive line, if they can stay semi-healthy at offensive line with the talent they have, uh, will be an easy 8-4, and 9-3. Yeah. But right. the, the, the thing that's going to be interesting to me, though, is they don't have the, the schedule, the conference schedule they've had to play in the past. They could not show up some games and win. <clears throat> Excuse me, but now your conference schedule is so deep that those—if you're not ready to play some of those games, those guys can sneak up and get you. And the depth in the conference play is what to, is going to be the biggest adjustment for for Louisville football. And it's uh, not saying they can't. I mean, I think eight and four is a pretty realistic number of what they where they'll end up. But I don't think seven and five is out of the question either. And it's going it's going to be an adjustment period. For them to get to the point, I would, where I would back. say seven and five would be a disappointment. Seven and five would be a disappointment. I, I would yeah. disagree with you on that one. I, I would say seven and five. I think seven and five is reasonable considering the conference and the level that they're going to have to move up in order to win eight games. Well, I'm, I'm like, if, if you look at the talent they have, even on offense and defense, the talent is there to, I think, easily to win about nine games. The, the talent is there. The Trino seems very concerned about their safety position, and he should be because you know because you have your two safeties about to be drafted. One's going to be drafted in the first round. The other one probably drafted probably mid second or third round. And the quarterback caliber goes up a notch. Speaking of your draft there, what's going on with your boy Teddy? How come he's dropping like uh like no other? Oh, that's uh <clears throat> Teddy had when he had bad advice from Chris Winky. Uh he should have had his glove on during pro day. Why wouldn't you? Because they got the guy he's throwing the glove all year. And you just have to admit, I got I got small hands. Because he he tried not to wear the glove during pro day because he has small hands, wanted to prove that he could throw NFL ball without a glove. But no, he needs a glove. One and two, he's small. He doesn't. He doesn't have the, the measurables. He's six. I think measures like a six two and three fourths and two hundred fourteen pounds. A lot of gyms like he's too small. He can't. He can't take a pounding. Uh, you know, he, he can't take an NFL like like pounding. So you know, even though he has all the intangibles, 
when you look at the tangibles, the measurables, he, he he's falling short and he's getting knocked down because of how much the of measurables. It, how much of it though do you think is posturing? I mean, I think that a lot of that goes on right now in the NFL draft. They're posturing to like make it sound like they're not really interested in the guy, hoping that he drops. I mean, he could either go eight, he could go ten, or he could go as low as twenty six. Yeah, or he could go to the second round. Barely, yeah. yeah. And the first couple picks of the second round. Uh, you know, and and it's really sad to, to kind of see this happen because you know he was literally the best quarterback I thought in college football last year. The way he manages the game, but like I said, that's the problem. It's those, it's those. Teddy has the intangibles. He has the leadership. He can read defenses. Um. He knows how to manipulate the safeties with his eyes. He makes great throws. He may not have the best touch on a long ball, but the most accuracy on a long ball. Long ball's not where the NFL's at. It's all about yeah. at the inside of the 15 yards. Yeah, so he does all those things really well, but the NFL, is, especially the quarterback position, they're so stuck on measurables. They're so stuck on, we want a quarterback who's six foot plus or six foot five or six, like 6'4 like plus, 230, 240 pounds. Plus, because you have to be able to take a beating. We want this guy with this rifle-like strong arm that can make every throw in a book. And Teddy doesn't have the rifle-like strong arm to make. I mean, he, he, he can make every throw, but he doesn't have like that that cannon, well, so to speak. We're at the end of the first hour, so we got to get to a break, and we will uh, continue our discussion here on the other side. We'll be right back on the Weekend Sports Bus. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Bus. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, welcome back, sports fans. So here in the uh, Weekend Sports Buzz, brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence, personal injury attorney. And uh, we just heard the Oxmoor Ford Buzz, Lincoln Buzz Line 384-1450. We're going to go straight to the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line. We've got Mike on the line. Mike, what's going on, my man? Hey, what it is, fellas? How y'all doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. What do you got for us? Okay, what I got for you is real simple. First off, I, I was listening to your conversation. I think a lot of this, the conversation about the ACC and the jump with U of L, is kind of much to do about nothing. I, I, I have not, and I don't know why anybody would be, other than Florida State, that, that conference is not exactly the top competitive conference in America. You could easily say that there are at least three different conferences that are bigger, better than them. And on performance alone, that conference does not compare even to conferences like the AAC and the Big East. You got one national champion, and you got a bunch of really, really mediocre teams that had a big past and a big tradition, and they're not that anymore. Miami is not Miami of the 80s and the 90s. Uh, Virginia Tech is not the Virginia Tech of the 90s. So when you start talking about seven and five, it's easily a, a, a eight-win season for Louisville next year. Uh, the only hurdles will be uh, that Notre Dame game and that Florida State game. I think everybody else is extremely mediocre. Don't I think forget about Clemson. How, how do you forget about Clemson? How do I feel about Clemson? How should I feel about Clemson? Clemson has never competed or, or performed to a level of competition. Every, everything they've been done has been measured against people they play in their own conference, and their conference is not that good. I will Every be- year they get smacked by Florida State. What, show me a win that Clemson has in the last 10 years is significant. South Carolina. Yeah. Last year. Okay, South Carolina. South Carolina underperformed in every game last year, and everybody knows this. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like 
it, I, the four-letter network has always went out of its way, and I'm not going with a conspiracy thing. They went out of their way to make the ACC seem like it would be a premier uh, sports conference, and honestly and truthfully, it's mediocre. Well, At it, best, it's mediocre, and I hate to... Get basketball and football. I'll go. I'll even go as far as basketball and football. I think Louisville won't have a problem with the jump at all. Man, basketball, Ooh. basketball is the best conference I think I've ever seen. But it, it's going to be. It's, it's gonna the rival second the Big best East. conference we've ever seen since from behind who? Behind what? It's, the Big East when Louisville first joined the it Big East. It's such a great. You're taking that. But you're taking that Big East. Great conference in basketball. It, I mean, you're I'm taking. Sorry. You're taking the Carolina. You're the Carolina is such a great conference. Go ahead. Okay. The ACC was such a great conference in basketball last year that a team that was brand new to that conference, two teams that were brand new to that conference, went in and beat the perennial favorites every year at home. Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, and Syracuse came in and won the African Alpha Dogs of that conference. Notre Dame was terrible basketball. <laughs> I mean, Notre Dame and was awful basketball. And that's with Parker and North Carolina being good. Well, North Carolina is supposed to be the greatest team in the world this year. I'm telling you, every year they're overstocked and they're overhyped. Same thing with football. We want to make them the SEC Part 2, and they're not. Just because they're in the same states don't mean they have the same competitive level. Watch and see what Louisville does to that competition in ACC. Well, I, I, go ahead, Mike. I, I think even if you say and you agree that the ACC football is not as good as it's led to be and it's not as good as the SEC – you have to admit that playing a game at Clemson is better than playing a game at Rutgers or at Temple. Playing a game at Virginia, nope. playing a game at NC State, playing a game at Boston College, playing a game at Florida State, at Wake Forest, at Miami, all of those places are so much more difficult to play play at than if you're talking about Temple, Temple. Central Florida, Houston, Connecticut, Memphis. I mean, it's it's absurd to say that the switch is, is there's not going to be a difference in the football level. And that's my argument is like the quality of the depth at the end of the at the bottom of the conference is better. And I I agree with what you're saying, Mike. As far as they're not one of the top three football conferences in America, and I don't think anybody's saying that. But from top to bottom, where they had to go against that, you have not only do you have teams with better traditions, but they got more resources. And when they got more resources, and they're gonna, oh. there's just gonna, to me, be it's a, a little bit of a harder stretch to go through uh, because of there's more depth at the bottom. Now, than, now, and when you look at that, you know, now I, Virginia's terrible. I I, uh, I agree with that. I, I, I talk about those playing at those places, but if you look at this upcoming year's schedule, you do have Miami at home, you have Wake Forest at home, Florida State at home. Uh, you have to play at Clemson, which is a big road one. But you do have a favorable uh, road schedule in terms of not having to go to Florida State. But when you turn around the following year and have to play at those places, you, it takes your football program to a whole nother and he, level. But he is right. Duke is a football school now, not a basketball school, right? So Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to say this in Mike's uh, defense. No, I'm going to say this in Mike's defense. When Louisville first joined the Big East, and with all the head-to-head matchups with the ACC, when you still have West Virginia, Big East, you have Pitt, Syracuse, uh, and Louisville football, they almost always beat the ACC every time they went head-to-head. And the ACC's BCS Bowl record is is horrible. Well, and that's, it, 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 I mean, it, well, the BCS is no more, but the, the ACC's BCS Bowl record was horrible. The Big East actually was right behind the SEC for, for – uh, 
for uh, BCS wins. I mean, the Big East was like the number two conference. So when it came time to the big stage, the Big East actually was. They performed a, well. It yeah. actually was a better conference yeah. than the ACC. Yeah. So I, I wish we'd go back to Metro, Metro Conference football. Metro Conf- that Metro Conference would have been good. It would have been good. Florida State, Virginia Tech. It would have been Georgia a solid, Tech. solid conference. So let's go back to that. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks, man. All right, we're going to keep on the Oxmoor 4 Lincoln Buds line. We're going to head to my man. He was in a little bit of trouble with me, but I know I'm also excited that we're in Evansville now, so he gets to listen to us a little bit better. The truth, truth, you. Hey, let me tell you something before we get to Indiana. I think the man better stop drinking that uh, coffee. Uh, uh, let me tell you something. You better take Clemson serious. I'm tell you all the speed Clemson got on there. You better look. Just look at the NFL and see how many players Clemson to put in there. Finally, well, the truth comes out. The well, the Clemson, and especially if Clemson was so bad, there's a lot of people that wanted that defensive coordinator at Clemson to be a head coach. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's obvious that they have something going on pretty well, well there. And, and, but Clemson did they did lose a lot uh, this yeah, past year. The top, the top did, wide receiver, but they're always going to be a solid. Taj Boyd. You know, you kind of, you kind of, you know, you can still kind of lose a lot at the top. So it'd be interesting to see what Clemson does. And my, Clemson is, my, you know, Clemson is like pastor. Virginia Tech. They do choke quite a bit. Yeah, to play at my, their place my, is a different story. All right, truth. My, my pastor, uh, wife, nephew played for Clemson about 12 years ago, played for Orangeboro Senior, named Jester Miller. Uh, you know what he did and when, led the nation in punt return when his first year. Yep. He got, got drafted in the second round for the Jets, played nine years in the NFL. They, they, they have speed. They get speed, and they put guys in the league for sure. There's no doubt about it. So, uh, Truth, did you make it out to the Derby Classic? Oh, you know, I had the death in my family. Oh, man, know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to about, I heard that Jaquan played good. I think he led his team at 16 points. Or something. Ja- Jaquan played all right. He came in a little out of shape. And, you know, he's he needs to lose about another 15 pounds. Uh, that seemed to be the thing on his team. There was a lot of kids on that green team that came in um, out of shape and a little overweight. And, uh you know, so he struggled early, and then he, but he he turned it on at the end. You you would have been proud though. I thought I thought Max Holtzel played really well. Mm-hmm. I've been hearing a lot about it, and I'm, I looked. I uh, just found out yesterday Indiana got a seven footer for Arizona. <laughs> Jeremiah April, and um, he played for the, a very good AAU program, the Compton Magic. Now I don't don't think that he's your savior to come in at the center spot. He's going to get a chance. He's going to get to play a lot, but this kid is uh, uh, not. I don't know. I mean, I, hopefully he performs better than he is, but it's not like what you. It's not like you're replacing Noah Vonley with a guy who's even in that class. So uh, you got to be better than Peter Jerkins. I, I will tell you that I think he's better than Peter Jerkins. Yes, he's, <laughs> you do have that going for you. So, truth, are you happy to have uh, the the sports buzz up there in, in Evansville on thirteen thirty? Especially on Saturday, I just Saturday. Y'all my favorite. Yeah, yeah. We we just get down. We we cover everything. You cover golf. You cover cover everything, and that's what I like about y'all. Y'all jack of all trades. Yeah, just bring it. Yeah, <laughs> right. just bring it. We do it just for you, Truth. Okay. Uh, well, I want to have y'all heard anything else about Indiana crew to anybody else or the. Uh, Talk to anybody? Well, right now they got to go recruit a replacement for Kenny Johnson, and that's a huge that's a huge loss for them. I mean, uh, Kenny Johnson is re- responsible for every major recruit Indiana has gotten in the last two or three years, and uh, 
being able to replace him has got to be a, a, a source of concern for Tom Crean because I, I don't know how attractive that job is right now because I think a lot of people think it might be somewhat of a sinking ship. And uh, you don't want to go somewhere for a year and then all of a sudden you know you have to move again. So maybe look at him to go with uh, a homegrown kid. Maybe go you know reach out to Calvert Chaney. I, I'm not sure, but they've got to find someone who can recruit and someone fast. They lose Kenny Johnson right before the evaluation weekend, which we're in the, the only spring evaluation weekend, where you can send out four coaches too. And for Indiana to be short-staffed, for this evaluation period, it really hurts them, doesn't it, Polio? It absolutely does, especially with, I mean, there's so many great tournaments around from East Coast to West Coast. They're spread out right now. Yeah, Sacramento, Dallas, Houston, uh, Kansas City, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I mean, and they are top-notch tournaments, too. Ain't ain't a big tournament coming up in Louisville? The The AAU uh, Nationals. Yeah, there's actually, there's two big AAU events in Louisville. Um, the, the AAU Nationals in July is huge, and it's going to have a lot yeah. of kids here. But then the – is go ahead. Listen, my nephew is coming to play. He played for a Michigan team out of Michigan. He's going to play up there. He's five foot nine. He's a junior. He, he led the Michigan in scoring. He's he just coming on. He play on a AAU Michigan team. He's five foot ten. I'm a, trying to hope he play in the Derby Classic. <laughs> Truth's pushing for him already. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm gonna tell him about the Derby Classic. Well, I'll He's tell you, I will definitely be at that tournament in Louisville for sure. So uh, I'll be there, and I'll make sure I, I check him out. So, um, but the other one that a lot of people don't know about as much is at the end of June. Um, Dino's Trigonus, who's like kind of like the godfather of AAU basketball, he's out of California, is bringing a uh, a really special event to Bellarmine, I believe, is where it's at, and they're um, they're doing basically a, a top sixteen tournament cross brand. So Under Armour teams, Adidas teams, Nike teams are all going to be at this tournament, and it's going to be just a high level of, of some of the best uh, teams for each one of those brands that are going to be here in Louisville at the end of at the end of June. So. Should be a lot of fun okay. there. Okay, I'll holler at you. Uh, all right, Truth. I'll tell you, Kenny Johnson, A, is an incredible pickup for Louisville. I mean, I, I don't know if people understand how this guy might be the best recruiter of the D.C. area in college basketball, period. And you almost re- you might have replaced Kevin Keats with a guy who might be a better recruiter, maybe not as good as an ex-no coach, but probably a better recruiter. And, uh, I mean, Noah Vonley is there because of Kenny Johnson, Stanford Robinson, Troy Williams, uh, Robert Johnson. All the top IU gets lately have been because of Kenny Johnson. Mm-hmm. James Blackman is there because of Kenny Johnson. He left when one of the other coaches was recruiting him. Then they put Kenny on him, and Kenny got him to come back. I mean, I, this guy can get it done. And and you're seeing it because Louisville's on a lot of the top ten kids in the country in this 2015 yeah. class. Now, they only got two spots, but they're they're going to replace him with two big-time players. It really was a good pickup. I mean, he really is a tremendous coach and, you know, one of the, like you said, one of the top recruiters in the country at this at right now. So to, to see the impact that he's going to have on both Louisville and Indiana, Louisville getting him, if they can rep- – they actually could fill those two spots with two McDonald's All-Americans. I could see them going after, the you know, the Blakely kid is kind of like their top choice right now. And I know they're uh, after uh, uh, Briscoe a little bit. 
but they're, they're going to be in good shape. But uh, they're all over the place, man. These coaches are all over the place. And for Indiana to lose them when they have to have a big recruiting year, for me, Crean has to make the tournament. I think he actually even ha- maybe has to win a game in the tournament, and he has to have a big recruiting class for him to save his job. Do you agree with that, Polio? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say that it's, it's come down to that point. Yeah, I mean, wow. And and, and I have the mighty have fallen. And, and I've heard from you know from people that are IU alums that are very upset at the way things are right now. Um, He's got guys on both sides though. He's got guys that are you know supporting them and trying to get them. To, but it, and, and I don't know if it's necessarily fair or not. I mean, but it's the business we li- we live in today that he's going to need to win a game at this point. Or I would say at least get to the tournament. I mean, if you don't get to the tournament again, I mean, he didn't get to – IU didn't get to the NIT. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> that's rough. That's really rough. When you're talking that. about Indiana basketball. And Coming when, off a number one seed from the year before. And, you know, I, I've had this argument with my wife, um, and we argue about IU basketball. Who went to IU, by the way? She went to IU, and uh, she loves Yogi. Uh, but Speaking of Yogi, Yogi got in a little trouble. Over the weekend, yeah. So. <laughs> Did you well, hear about that with this barber? No, Yogi and Stanford Robinson just uh, in a bar in Bloomington got caught using a trying to use fake IDs and underage <laughs> drinking. And now, who in Bloomington is not going to know who Yogi Ferrell is? Yeah, how did he get caught? For that? Come on. I mean, first of all, why'd you do fake ID, Yogi Ferrell? I mean, you should <laughs> walk in, and be like, I'm Yogi. Let me in, even if I'm underage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm Yogi. Here. What's up? <laughs> I'm the only guy on the team. Let me in. <laughs> <laughs> Now, granted, uh, he's not Michael Irvin back in the day in, in Miami, where you know when, when the Hurricanes were bigger than the Dolphins. Uh, but still, <laughs> but but when IU is rushing the floor for beating Nebraska and hanging banners after a loss, that shows where IU's program is right now. And I know uh, you know Crean had to come from he, when he came in the the program was in shambles, but. But still is. It still kind of is. They had <laughs> they had the one year which you could say was a disappointment considering how much talent they had on the team and then what they've Two done. Two top the four last picks. Year. Yeah, I mean, and a I, lot of pressure there. Yeah, and and it's not all his fault. I mean, they need to upgrade facilities. I mean, they got they have a good practice facility that they just built. What a couple years ago. Assembly you know, needs a major overhaul. Well, which and, and they're doing that, so it's all in the workings, and you know. They got the big donor there that has their name on, I think, a lot of buildings on IU's campus. Donated how many ever millions of dollars? So, um, the the tournament I'm talking about real quick is June 27th or 29th, and it's the Legends Grassroots Super 16 National Championship, and it's going to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, you don't get to have a lot of events where there's a lot of cross-brand stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a great event. So, but, it's a really good get for Louisville to have that and the AAU Nationals. I mean, it's oh, huge. huge for local basketball. Louisville, Kentucky, and then talking about Western Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, Murray, you know, IU, the whole, all of them, top to bottom. Well, I have a question for you guys, since both of you guys deal with basketball. We got about, and we, we're really actually late for a break. Should we take, can we hold it till the end of the break? We'll hold it. Ask your question, and then we'll tease it for the, for the break. The tease is this. What makes a good recruiter? I mean, as, as guys who've gone out and actually had to recruit players, I mean, what makes a good recruiter? And what's it like? I mean, how hard is it to convince 17, 18, 19-year-old guys to come to you? Uh, that's, and those are great questions. We will, and I will, let's get to the recruiting side of it here on the other side of the break. We'll be right back on the Weekend Sports Bus. 
listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, welcome back. Weekend Sports Buzz. Mike Doppel here with Hayward Harrington and Mike Polio. And uh, we're here, again, thanks to Brandon J. Lawrence, your personal injury attorney. Make sure you give Brandon a call for all your personal injury needs. And uh, Haven posed the question before we went to break about, you know, just about the recruiting process, I guess, is really the way to go and, and what makes a guy a good recruiter and what doesn't make a guy a good recruiter. Mike, since you're kind of a little more directly tied to it, um, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Well, I will speak from what I've seen from our assistants and some of the assistants I've been around. Maybe Mike can talk a little bit more about the evaluating part because – Unfortunately, with the rule limits, you're not allowed to evaluate. Um, I can say that from the experience that I've had, it's all about personal relationships and the way the coaches approach the kids. Uh, they've Some of the better recruiters that I've been around, uh, Phil Cunningham, who's the head coach at Troy right now and is doing a really good job with that program, has been one of the better recruiters that I've seen, and he he was at Mississippi State, um, was at Western, and now at Troy. And Mississippi and State was getting some players at that time, absolutely too. getting some players. And um, you know, I think what he did is he was able to make the players know that they're very important to him. He would call them every night, know everything going on in their lives. Um, and really make them top priority. And I think that has seemed to be the most uh, most important thing because with all the coaches and all the kids at different schools ha- are recruiting and, and that kids are getting calls every day is how do you stand out from the other schools? And you can talk about your tradition. Uh, you can talk about your facilities and what you've done recently. and But it all comes down to how do the – coach how do you as a coach handle the personal relationship with the player and the better your personal relationship with is with the player the better it's going to be the chances of you getting the player i I would have to agree i think a lot of it is the kid just wants to feel i think the kid wants to feel wanted and needed and uh and feel like he's very special and to agree so the more that you can tie into that personal relationship with a kid and feel personally connected and then it ties in, then the evaluation period comes around, and that head coach is sitting front and center to watch that guy because it, it's like the mad dash for positioning, uh, especially if there's ever a time where the, uh, where the coaches are sitting under the basket. They're always positioning so they can be seen, and that's what's most important to them. So, you know, you got the, the assistant coach lots of times building that relationship, and then you got the head coach coming in to kind of seal the deal in a lot of times. And so being seen – so that the coach is there watching you. And then, you know, and then the one thing like, you know, Cal does is, A, he sells, you know, I'm going to be able to get you to the league, um, which he's been able to get kids to the league better Absolutely. than anybody in the in, in basketball. But then I know he's also, he's he's pulling out his phone and he's showing his pictures of, you know, him and Jay-Z and him and LeBron and, and him and Drake. And so there's a wow factor there too. So it, it, it's about building that relationship with the front end, it, having the coach tie in with so much of a wow factor Getting them on campus because if you get them on campus for a personal visit, and when you're on a personal visit, it's got to be. I mean, they've got to, and that's where I think not on the basketball side, but on the football side. Mark Stoops does an incredible job with their personal visits uh, when they come in. Those official visits when they come to Lexington, and the kids feel like you know 
a it's it, it, there's a lot of family atmosphere, and you and I have kind of talked about this a lot. So I hope I'm not uh, I'm, I hope I'm okay stating this, but if <clears throat> the, your best recruiters are your players, so when they come on for an official visit, and the the other guys kind of welcome them in, and they feel a part of it. And they, they can feel the family atmosphere and they feel like, you know, they want me here too. The coaches want me, but now the guys want me in too. I think that's ultimately what's going to help you get to become one of those hats on the table when that kid makes a decision. And that's what you got, you're working to be. You want to be one of those hats on the table because, you know, then you, you've got a shot at landing them. Yeah, because, I mean, we set up our visits to where they're meeting with the athletic director, meeting with the president, meeting with someone in their area of study because – you know, to be honest, and, you know, a lot of schools say it, but academics is a very important part for our program. We want to make sure our guys graduate. Um, normally, we try to get our guys to graduate in three years uh, early so that they can start working on their master's, which we got one that's uh, finishing up his MBA right now. But, um, you know, we make sure they meet with the area studies, show them our facilities, campus facilities. But they always have time with the players. And when it comes down to whether the kid is going to come or not, a lot of it depends on whether he says, yes, I like the team. I feel like I'm going to be a good part of the team. I'm going to be a good puzzle piece in this team. So really the guys that you have on your team are probably the biggest recruiters that you have. Mm -hmm. But I think that's also – I mean, I think good coaches coach their – current players to be good recruiters for them i mean you know i know you know those kids then would interact with them you know texting and tweeting with each other instagram and all that other stuff and that's really important and um and again they want to be welcome in and feel feel a part of the team i mean just like uh at the derby classic quentin quentin and Jalen and shanani were there and all of a sudden you know half of ul's basketball team comes in to watch those guys and they're all, you know, it, that's a big deal. I mean, for them, for you to be a high school kid and have all those guys come watch you because they care about you because they're you're their future teammate, that's a huge part of it. And having that official visit where it really gets to show off what your program is all about, uh, it, it goes a, a really long way. Now, my next question would be, and you guys probably won't be able to answer this, but you have some insights. How hard is it, or how hard it must it be for a lot of these kids, especially like your top prospects? Knowing that, especially like, let's, let's take, well, basketball. You know, you're getting 30, 40, 50 offers in the mail. I don't think they're getting 30, 40, 50 offers, by the way. I mean, they're getting letters, well, but they're and, not. Well, in football, you probably would get like the 30 or yeah. 40, 50 offers. Uh, if, you know, from various things. Basketball may be a little bit different, but still, you know, the the coach is calling all the time. Because, you know, one coach, I'm sure, if, if Patino and Calipari is calling, then you know that you're getting phone calls and texts from probably about 15 other, you know, top programs. And, you know, just how much, you know, of a burden that is on somebody who is a, a junior, senior high school to get that kind of attention. It could be a huge burden. I, I mean, I, and, you know, I know some of the parents talk about how their cell phone bills go up dramatically because of, you know, the, the text messaging. If you don't have unlimited text, I mean, it can get out of control. Uh, now that they're allowed to text. And I think it can be a burden, and I think some kids really like it, just depending on what type of kid uh, kid he is. I know some kids really like to be able to, you know, text what they did in a game. Like, uh, you know, some of our coaches will text, you know, great game. Um, and they love that feedback. You know, they love to hear from coaches, and that's where they're building the personal Especially relationship. Especially if it just happened. Like, if you yeah. it comes out and, you know, the kid had – like, for example, during the evaluation periods – this is so stupid, but 
so four coaches can be out. They're evaluating. They're watching these kids, but they can't. Con- they can't have any contact with them. But as soon as that later kids but later in the hotel, they can te- send them a text message. Hey, saw you today. Great game. You know, whatever looked good. And you know, I think it's, a lot of the kids like it in basketball when they say, "Hey, you need to you need to work on this." You know, where you're already kind of trying to help out a kid a little bit and say, "Hey, this is kind of where you need to get improved." The the funny thing is, this is all going to change. I mean, with what the NCAA did this week in empowering the top five conferences, and especially in basketball, I mean, those those really good basketball programs that were in the the mid level conferences, you know, the the new Big East with Georgetown, all those guys, Cincinnati and Connecticut, they're at such a disadvantage now that the the NCAA is letting these top five conferences help pay for travel for family members. I mean, these top five conferences are now going to be able to throw so much out to them. To those guys, where it's like if you're Vanderbilt basketball recruiting or going after a basketball player, and you're competing with Georgetown or Marquette or Cincinnati or UConn, where it shouldn't even be close. Mm-hmm. You know, I get an offer from UConn, I get an offer from Vanderbilt. Where I'm going to even look at going? Yeah, Vanderbilt's going to be offer, be able to offer this kid so much more. Mm-hmm. It's going to be it's going to be unreal how things are going to change. So a lot of things are going to be changed in the next two three years. Yeah, it's it's going to be a big time deal. It's going to be a real big deal. I mean, I, I'm, if I'm a smaller conference school, I'm, I'm kind of upset that they're giving this leeway to just the ones at the top five conferences. Not not everybody has this opportunity. Yeah. So well, I mean, it's the rich getting richer. It is. Like at a Western Kentucky, you know, and a kid gets an offer from Ole Miss, but he knows he's not going to play a lot. And Western Kentucky might be a better fit for him, but Ole Miss can fly his mom in, you know, if they go to the NCAA tournament and stuff like that. It's, it's it's a big, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's you know? definitely going to be something that we're going to have to deal with and and take a look at and and you know hopefully the NCAA makes it fair for the well know, even the, whole... the even the food thing last you know two weeks ago you know you all aren't going to be able to afford to have a personal chef living in you don't have a Wildcat Lodge that mm-hmm. can have a personal chef that's going to be on call twenty out of twenty four hours of the day and if Dakari Johnson wants a sandwich at midnight you know he's having this five star chef come in and probably make it i mean that's that's where it could get to right it, it was kind of ridiculous the rules of you know what what's considered a snack what's considered a meal what you know the the subtle language i'm just happy use. that louisville got rid of shane behannon before his, his munchies in the 24-hour eating rule got into effect so ha <laughs> ha too soon too soon too soon who's now going to the nba which would see him on the Israeli basketball team before you know it. <laughs> Zach Price just uh, declared eligible for the draft too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's gonna be that you're gonna see a push, I guess, for these top five conferences, I guess, to separate themselves in football and basketball. And you know, I don't know. Do we see well, in football? Division? In football, the separation already happened. Yeah, but because the money is just so unreal for the top five conferences. I mean, if you didn't get, I mean, U of L is a prime example. You've they got so lucky, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it's like Yuva and UConn were fighting over that last a- ACC spot, which looks like it may be the last spot in the top five power conference. And in some ways, for, Louisville, for a decade, Louisville was it, happy that that Connecticut kind of imploded. You know, they missed the NCAA tournament because of their APR score. They got in trouble with the guys stealing laptops and had some other investigation type stuff. And UConn had such a that UConn basically made themselves look completely unattractive to the ACC, where Louisville. And, and didn't it was luck steel. into a position, but <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it was steel. You, you said luck, and Tom Jurich positioned Louisville him, in, yeah. in an amazing position to be that team that the ACC would want to take, and then 
UConn. Well, no, see, the, see the, to me, what's so interesting about the whole a, ACC and, and, and Louisville and the whole finding out UConn and even to a lesser extent Cincinnati was that UConn still was a better academic fit, which was very, very important to a lot of those schools, ACC. Was that UConn's academic profiles light years and I'll, and UVL fans light, light years above UNC's. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, say this right now. UVL fans, they want to hate me when I say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway because I argue it with UVL fans all the time. It's like, well, we're just as good as Ohio State. We may not. No, 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 no. You're getting better. No, I'm. I'm. I'm let's be honest. UVL and UK are like junior colleges academically when it comes to like Ohio State to Virginia's. And those type of it, it is what it is. We are. Can, can we just mention the UNC uh, papers that they write? I mean, you're saying yes. how good the academics are in the ACC, but I, one I, of I, the top now, ACC programs now, is turning in. Well, I will say this. I will say this. I'm not. I'm not Your I'm, daughter writes better. Probably, she probably does. And <laughs> now I will say this. I'm not talking about what the athletes do to get eligible because at every school, maybe except for Western. Thank you. But I will say at, at, <laughs> at, at every school, and, and you can do this. Go look at any uh, football roster anywhere in the country, at any major program, and look at the majors of all the players. And I guarantee you half the football players are majoring in sports administration hey, or listen, communications. I was a sports administration person. <laughs> all right. I'm getting a master's in sports administration. Yeah, see, there you go. has actually got a top ten sports administration program in the oh, country. Oh, they do. But way. I'm just saying. Though, but so does Western Kentucky. Yeah? It, communications. Yeah. It yeah. is legit. Uh, but, Syracuse. But, but 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 back back to my point though, you know when it came, when it came time to get an ACC spot, you know for the ACC sports really wasn't like the top thing they were looking for was the TV market which UConn has his beat in, and it was academics because they want to keep that same academic profile. What put Louisville the top was Florida State was like, hey look, we need to go. We have a chance now to start playing for national championships, and one we need to be more competitive with the SEC and, and football. UConn is not going to do that for us. UConn is not going to raise his academic profile. And I think the ACC was afraid of being like the Big Ten because the Big Ten added Rutgers, which is a great, you know, scholastic uh, program. Yeah. Scholarly program added Rutgers. Uh, they added Nebraska. Added Maryland. Added Maryland. And now you look at their, you know, what they do on the football field and it's like, mm. eh. They're not a football conference anymore. No, they're not. They're All not. Right. We got to actually uh, head to our last break because we're a little bit behind schedule. And we're going back. We got one more segment. We're going to talk horse racing on the on the last segment. and hockey and hockey and hockey playoffs. Two, two minutes on hockey right. playoffs and horse racing when we come back. So don't change your radio. Dog. Boston strong. All right, Thank we'll you. be right back on the weekend sports bus. You're listening to the weekend sports bus. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmore Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at three eight four fourteen fifty. All right, one more segment left. Weekend sports, but this is like two hours just flown by. Absolutely, absolutely Loved flown it. by. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we got a couple of things that we want to click on. The one thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, different handicapping strategies. Now that we're getting into the spring meet here at Churchill Downs, and um, so we'll, we'll finish the show with that. But we got to touch on real quick: the Boston Bruins have a chance today to advance in the Stanley Cup. It, playoffs. This series really worried me. It was the last team that I wanted to play was Detroit. They got and they lost and the, the flying op- squid. Lost the opening game, which almost hit Tuka Rask, the goalie. Uh, very upset about that. Almost went to Detroit, beat some people up. But you got to feel good though. They they have to be the odds-on favorite to hoist the cup. Yeah, I mean they had the best record in the NHL. Of course they they should be. I mean they're the best. 
best team in the history of the game. Uh, the the one my favorite uh, hockey team by chance is is the New York Rangers. Yeah. And uh, you know they're two two with Philadelphia. They've got a chance, but I think what makes the da- the Rangers dangerous is that they've got such a great goaltender and very much like in the in pro basketball when a hot guard can kind of carry you uh, in college basketball too. A, a hot goalie in the NFL NHL can take you all the way to the Stanley Cup. And and that's what uh, Boston has with Tuka Rask is that they have. You know, possibly the best goalie in the NHL is possibly hoist the Vezina Trophy for the best goalie, um, and he is took over from a Vezina Trophy winner with Tim Thomas. And um, the Bruins are are looking great, and I like it. And I wish more people would watch hockey. I think people would really get into it if they watch playoff hockey. Playoff hockey is fantastic. We got a caller on the uh, Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line, the Professor. Professor, what's going on, my man? Hey, what's up, guys? Man, I, I haven't been able to comment much about the, the EKs, all these players coming back. Hey, will this be, like, the biggest team, like, ever assembled? And do you think all these rebounding records and blocking records will be shattered? Well, I, 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 let's talk about the blocking thing first, because even though they've got some incredible size, the only real rim protector they have Willie is Stein. Willie Cauley-Stein. Marcus Lee can get there if once his timing gets down. None of the, you know, Carl Towns is not a shot blocker. Dakari Johnson is not a shot blocker. Trey Lyles is can be. can be, but he's not like a shot blocker, shot blocker. So, you know, as far as this being like an Anthony Davis, Nerlens Noel type shot blocking team, I don't see that. I don't see it getting to that point. Uh, now, rebounding wise, they should be pretty freaking awesome, but let's not forget, they're losing, in my estimation, one of the greatest rebounders that I've ever seen play college basketball. Julius Randle had such a good nose for the basketball. Um, and so that's kind of what's going to have to happen. And size size doesn't make you a great rebounding team right off the bat. I mean, so much of, si- of rebounding is positioning and how you use your body and, uh, and a lot of drive and heart and want to. So uh, That's what Randle had. He had a great nose for the ball. He knew but exactly, he after, he knew exactly and, and where the, the ball was And the loved him, go. so he never got called for oh, fouls. Oh, come on, man. Get off which, this. Which always helps. Get off it, this. It does help a little. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, but if four guys were going for a rebound, and Julius Randle was one of them, and he's he pushed off, with get it, the ball. And he, put, he pushed all three out of the way. Come on. And got the ball. But, uh, you know, this team is going to have tremendous size, especially if they go with the non-freshman starting lineup where you've got the Twins and Poitras and Dakari and Willie Cauley-Stein all starting. I mean, that is a freaking huge team. Let me tell you something. UK <laughs> next year is going to be like the Avengers, the X-Men, and the Justice League, like all rolled into one. <laughs> well, you know, they still – they still uh, the tw- the thing about it is the Twins, especially Aaron, has to solidify himself as a primary – perimeter score you know the number one perimeter option uh which that's kind of where they they struggled last year james young and and aaron harrison both of them could shoot the ball really well but they kind of struggled so if, if aaron comes out and he's shooting you know close to 40 percent from three-point range and they can open things up for devin booker you know they're going to be all right i and, mean uh and i think that's why they got so far in the tournament was that that's shooting I mean, yeah when you make shots you can win games they made shots <laughs> i mean they had good matchups and they had the most talent and in the tournament, but they made shots at the right time. I told they me, weren't doing that all year. Just like the Justice League. You know, the <laughs> Justice League, you know, you had the All-Stars, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, but then you had those guys that, you know, which you case a three-spot, and for Justice League, I'll be like, the Zan and Jane, the twins, or Aquaman, who's pretty much useless. <laughs> Are you really, man, this isn't. <laughs> so, Professor, does that answer your question? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, one more thing. Uh, you guys used to run a, a commercial with uh, Brian Brom having a, a, a youth football camp. Do you, you guys know anything? Because, I mean, I called the number, and for some reason uh, they, they don't pick up. Then I'll hang up and, 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 and hear Hey, Haven, you'd be the guy. Do you know anything about Brian Brom's camp? Uh, no. No, we... You know what? We can figure something out, though. We'll, we'll see if we can call Greg. We can, call, we can give Greg a call and see what's going on. Yeah. So, all right, we only got a couple minutes left. Let's get real real quick into the horse racing thing. Mike Polio is self-profaned, uh, topped polio yeah. horse handicapper. Absolutely. So, do you all, first off, do you and Marty actually have, like, a trophy that you all pass back and forth for, like, you know, you know how you can win like the jockey standings. Yeah. So, no. After after I won it so many times, we were talking Marty about the rivalry. Like, when is it really a rivalry? Marty just kind of conceded the fact that I'm much better handicapper than he is. There you go. So, I, I like what's that. What's the secret? So, what's the secret to help him? Yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you the full secret. You, you pick, got to. You pick color and name. <laughs> is that what you said? Colors uh, and names. No, I'm big into pace. How the how the race will set up. If there's a lot of speed in the race then a closer will uh, typically wins, or if there's not much speed, the speed. So I look a lot at the speed factors. And I look Are you at, talking about speed ratings? Uh, no, I don't typically. Well, I do look at the speed, like the buyer figures. Yeah. But I look at fractions. fractions and how they're positioned in the race. So if a horse likes to go to the front early, um, which a lot of races in North America, I'm going to throw out the stat that a third of the races in North America are one – on the lead, uh, but I don't know where I got that from, so I may be wrong. Well, yeah, because most horse races are not run like the Kentucky Derby. But I'm probably – no, and that's like that's one – Did you just say that you might be wrong, by the way? No. That could have been a first no, ever. Cut that, cut that out. Uh, it's on podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, um, you know, the Kentucky Derby is one where pace you can't really figure in too much because you have no idea how 20 horses, how they're going to be able to come out of the gate and be able to – you know, who's going to run into who, how the pace is going to set up at all. Um, and then I look at a lot of trainer angles. If a trainer does really well by changing equipment, um, by um, whether he does good bringing a horse from a long distance to a short distance, a lot of times that'll help. Grass to tur- uh, or turf. Uh, yeah, turf uh, to grass or reverse. Uh, those, those kind of things. I look for any kind of way that the horse is changing something about who they are. Um, and there's actually a horse in the Derby, one of Michael Maker's horses. Fortunately, I got this little nice little folder here. <laughs> the Manila folder. The, the Manila folder with all the secrets. The top secret stamped across the top. But there is one horse, a Michael Maker horse, that uh, General A-Rod, he, he won his first maiden race. Not, not named after Alex Rodriguez, by the way. They're, the owner, I think, is A-Rod, if I... If I... Uh, uh, yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, so he won his first race, came from far back. They added blinkers, which typically add speed, speed to a horse because they don't see the horses, so they just go out and run. Uh, didn't do well with the blinkers. Um, there's talk that they may take the blinkers back off after five races, and which I would like. I think that would give him a little bit, set him back a little bit further and be able to get a good kick going home. So maybe a long shot, you know. Generally, Maybe. Rod, for, it could be a long shot derby just pick. A long shot derby pick. Put two dollars on if you, you know yeah. if you win, you could probably you uh, probably make a good fifty. That's going to be the interesting thing for me with this derby. We got a heavy favorite in California Chrome, but like we already said, that this derby is going to be very the, the middle of the pack is very very close. And uh, 
I think you're going to see, you know, very high odds on California Chrome, but you're going to have a lot of ten to one to twenty five to one horses in this race. Um, you know, the type of race where putting two dollar yeah. bet on everybody might and, might and pay California off. Chrome is probably one of the most deserving favorites since Big Brown in two thousand eight. Um, just man, his pedigree's so bad. But ignore that. Don't you watch like Black Beauty Man? It, you know, sometimes you can overcome that. You're talking yeah. about a the guy. little rascals. With you're the talking about a horse. Uh, he's pulling out the Aquaman, Little uh, Rascals, all I sorts mean, of references. You're I talking know. about a horse that has a jackass on the silks because when they when the owners bought the mare that they bought for eight thousand dollars or whatever it was. This the the guy the groom walking by says anyone who buys that mare is a dumbass and that's why the, there's a donkey on the actual silks then they bred the horse for another twenty five hundred dollars and then all of a sudden this guy this horse is blowing everybody away it's that's what makes horse racing great by yeah. the way and, and by the you know looking at the twenty five hundred dollars stud fee it's twenty five hundred dollars stud fee when your top sires are a hundred thousand. Right, you know, so that shows you how big of a difference it is, and it's unbelievable. But ignore that; it's a quality, quality favorite, and there's a way to make money on the favorite because there'll be a lot of twenty to one horses that are also very good. It's a good field. All right, we're out of here, Mike. Thanks for coming in, Haven. Thanks. That was great as always. Next week, Derby. We'll be talking Derby. There we go. See you next weekend on the Weekend Sports Bus.